You know, when I first learned to meditate, I was about 19 years old. And I remember it being initially challenging for the first few days or week. And then I remember having one meditation round where I really just plunged into a kind of peace, a, like equanimity of the mind. And it was very enjoyable. From that point on, I was hooked. Meditation was, up to that point in my life, the most relief I ever felt from the nearly constant sense of discomfort, frustration, self-doubt, on and on. But I do remember one specific aspect of meditation that was challenging for me. And it wouldn't happen all the time, but it seemed situational. And in retrospect, it seemed silly, but then it seemed very real. I was certain this was a problem. And that was when I would hear a clock ticking anywhere near me while I was meditating, that metronomic tick, 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 the distraction of it seemed to really just drive me nuts. Like I felt like if that wasn't there, I could be in this deep, peaceful meditation. But it, because it's there, all I feel is frustration. All my attention would go there, but it was in a polarized fashion. I wasn't merging with the sound. I wasn't feeling integrated. I was feeling like I'm here trying to meditate, trying to be peaceful. And that sound out there is driving me completely nuts. It's ruining my peace. So in retrospect, it's easy to see that this is kind of a blame and resistance pattern, frustration coming up, some emotion in the emotion body coming to the surface. But that didn't feel like what was happening. It felt like there was very truly something out there annoying me. Shouldn't have been there. If it just wasn't there, I'd be at peace. So of course I would get up and move the clock or whatever, but it got to the point where even if I could hear the most faint tick somewhere in the house, I would focus on it and it would just drive me up the wall to the point where I wasn't even sure if I could hear it anymore. But the fact that I knew there was a clock three rooms away somewhere ticking and I thought maybe I could hear it, that was enough to annoy me. So as silly as all this sounds, it really felt uh, solid for me. It felt like an actual fact that that thing, that clock, that ticking was driving me crazy. I had another um, similar response that was more mild to like voices. I heard voices or a TV set in another room, but for some reason that wasn't quite as triggering. I didn't like it, but it wasn't as triggering as like the ticking. There was something about the metronomic nature of it that made me uh, believe that that had the ability to ruin my meditation. So uh, I think I beat that to death, but uh, I wanted to make a broader point about this, of course. That is, when people watch my videos on occasion, uh, they will comment that my video is being ruined by the sound in the video <laughs> or uh, by the background. And a lot of times it's very interesting what it comes with. It'll come with this like sort of subtly manipulative dialogue like, that's unprofessional. Don't you want to be more professional? You're going to, you know, scare away all your serious practitioners or, um, or, or they'll compare me to like, you know, another teacher. Like, could you imagine Ramana Maharishi doing that or Adyashanti? You know, like I'm going to be embarrassed into changing what I do or something, right? And that's fine. Like, I get it. Um, and that's not the point. The point isn't why I do it um, or that I'm trying to be like some spiritual ideal or not trying to be like some spiritual ideal. 
Um, that's just an interesting aside that feels like, you know, subtle, subtly manipulative as if like that's going to sway me or something. Um, but the underlying concern actually is more interesting to me. The underlying movement uh, in, in that person that, that watches the video and says, oh man, this transmission could be good or the message seems clear or whatever, but that one sound, if it wasn't for that sound, right? Um, so yeah, in this video, I really just wanted to kind of address that and more broadly address how that plays out in our lives, right? Recently, I had a, a conversation with a friend about uh, misophonia. I don't know if you've heard of this, but the misophonia is essentially certain sounds uh, drive you up the wall. Certain sounds make you feel very, very triggered or reactive, um, like you just have to do something about it. Some people will even describe having violent images in their mind. <laughs> so your spouse or your friend or your child or whoever is uh, across the table eating and you can hear their sounds of mastication, of chewing. Um, and those sounds make you angry or seemingly so. You feel anger and you believe it's because of those sounds, right? All, all of this, of course, is projection. But um, it, it shows you something, right? It shows you that like, what is the system that sets up what I like and what I don't like? And sometimes it's so random. It's so, it doesn't make any sense at all, right? Like one sound of, who knows, a toaster popping doesn't bother me, but the sound of someone crunching a potato chip drives me crazy. Why? Is there, is there any intrinsic cause to that in the sound, right? At some point you'll be able to look closely enough or listen closely enough to the sound and see the sound is innocent. There's nothing in it. It's just sound, right? Has no meaning, has no purpose, has no location, no cause. It can't do anything to you because it's more primary. The experience of it is more primary than the sense of you, the one who's aware of it, yeah? And therein, actually, in my experience, lies the issue. It's easy to overlook this, so we'll take it by layers. So the first layer is kind of like a blame, right? As I mentioned, truly believing like that ticking sound is ruining my meditation or that person chewing is really ruining my moment or Angelo's sound in his video is really ruining his videos, right? And when we believe that, when we believe the, the narrative fully, we actually believe the blame. We, we're not even aware that we're blaming something for our own experience of dissatisfaction or annoyance or whatever. When we believe that, then we get into that strange space of uh, trying to subtly manipulate the person to stop doing what they're doing or uh, struggling with circumstances and we just get up in our head about it. It makes no sense, right? You're, you're never going to get anywhere doing that. So I think the first layer to unpack is blame and just seeing, oh, okay, there's an emotion here. I'm feeling an emotion. And blame is also here. Blame means I want to externalize the responsibility for that emotion outwardly. I want to say it's because of that or you or the sound that I'm upset, that I can't be settled, etc. The moment we see, oh, this is blame. I'm using blame. I'm sort of projecting my discomfort outward and trying to find the agent that's causing it out there. Uh, we have the opportunity to stop. 
that can be a bit of a hard pill to swallow if we're in the habit of it. If we really believe that blame and we continually do this, it can be hard because then the responsibility comes inward and we may not be ready to take that responsibility for our own satisfaction or dissatisfaction, more importantly, right? But once you learn to do that, so it's a, it's a level of maturity of being human. Uh, once you learn to do that and just say, okay, I'm not gonna project my dissatisfaction outward anymore. I'm gonna take it in, see what's going on, sit with it, try to sort it out, whatever, right? Um, then then you, you, you have some um, traction, right? You have the ability to actually come into contact with what's actually happening. And it's an emotion, right? It could be rage, anger. Underneath that, you might be surprised what's there. It could be some sadness, um, grief, uh, fear of helplessness is a big one, yeah. So these emotions that are underneath uh, um, are allowed to come to the surface. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this video uh, and throughout the video, uh, putting ourselves in situations where we expand consciousness, let's say, or we calm the mind, often brings these up, brings these emotions to the surface. Um, anyone who's like uh, done a psychedelic, for instance, knows this, or uh, meditated for prolonged periods, you know this, that the emotions come to the surface. And if we don't know that they're emotions or don't recognize that they're emotions, we get really bound up. But when we open and go, okay, I'm feeling emotions, I'm feeling emotions I didn't know I could feel even, we have a lot of latitude. We have a lot of bandwidth to integrate things. So so that's the, the next layer is just getting down into the emotion body and realizing, oh, I'm feeling frustration right here. I'm feeling annoyance, right? And if it's at something seemingly mundane, like my video or you got caught off in traffic, you know, you might dismiss it a little bit and that's fine, but you also are called to uh, look a little deeper. Where do I get annoyed in my life around people I'm close to, people I love? Maybe that's actually affecting things, my relationships, my work situation. Yeah, it may or may not be, but it's something to investigate, right? You know, it's easy to do it when it's impersonal, but when it's personal, you may um, find some areas that you can really work on, uh, seeing like, wow, I'm, I'm really blaming that person for my own dissatisfaction. Um, how's that affecting my relationship with them and so forth? So this is really deeper stuff here that we can work on when we take this up, right? And then the big tamale, realizing at some point um, that specifically sound sensations, physical sensations, right? Um, and emotions are the, the sort of gateway to this often. But those direct sensory experiences are a sort of oblivion. At some point, our identity, as we know it, will start to subside, right? The sense of being someone in the mind, a collection of thoughts with that past and a future and a, um, a temporal landscape with a timeline, with a narrative, that's just not real, right? And that's can be kind of scary, but when we feel uh, sound specifically, completely overtaking experience, when we notice that happening, when it starts to obliterate us, a different sort of fear can come in. Um, the fear that, well, if, if I completely merge with that, with this, with this environment, which is not in time or space, it's just this, what's left of me, right? Not much.
um, you start you start to notice that you're being replaced by the vividness of sound, of sensation, of the visual experience, and that can be triggering. So. I think these triggers happen at all levels with even simple annoyances, honestly. Some, again, something like misophonia. If you look at it, well, why does this sound annoy me and that one doesn't, for instance, right? Could actually be the circumstances of the moment. Maybe you're feeling particularly present and that sound and your resistance to that sound is actually the life preserver you're trying to use to stay as a separate entity instead of just completely merging with the whole experience, right? Um, I think it was uh, Nietzsche who said, when casting out, be careful when casting out demons, you don't destroy the best thing that's in you. So often these are blessings in disguise, uh, these experiences, and you can unpack them to almost any level you really want to. But I think all the uh, aspects I've touched on in this video, you will come in contact with at some point if you keep up this investigation into the nature of identity, the nature of experience, the nature of appearance, the nature of sound, the nature of sensation, right? And the nature of cessation, ultimately.